listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. Welcome one, welcome all. Changing Reality is a show that is brought to you by WQHS Radio, a radio show uh, run by students here at the University of Pennsylvania. And this show is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. So if this is the first time you guys are tuning in, as I said, welcome. And through this show, we'll be hanging out and interviewing amazing people from social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, pioneers in their industries, thought leaders, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world, and a couple from the Penn campus here too. So through hearing their inspiring stories on how they are changing their own reality, Hopefully, we'll be able to pick up little nuggets of wisdom that we can apply in our own day-to-day lives as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I believe that there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about learning how they're doing that so that we can, as I said, shorten our own learning curves and get the message from them in a sense. And by uncovering the story of how they're changing the world in their own capacity, it'll not only hopefully inspire us, but it'll give us the toolkit to do the same. And to show you how much I believe in the power of stories in a sense of how much of an impact that these stories can actually create, I actually personally founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance um, in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that today collaborates with not just our own Malaysian Ministry of Education, but works with over 28 countries that, that has received the Diana Award from the United Kingdoms, that basically helps provide an alternative education platform for any student out there who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, and experiential learning activities that helps them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the worlds around them, and start their careers while they're still in school that creates meaningful impact, not just for themselves, but for those around them as well. And to date, we've been fortunate to work with over 35,000 youngsters in 970 over communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 25 themselves. So in essence, we help everyday students change their reality. And the basis of all of that have been kind individuals who are willing to share their stories, share their experiences with us. And that has in turn created so much impact in the work that we do. So just like that, I hope that this show is that same platform for each and every single one of you listening. So that by tuning for this, you get a little boost in a sense of, or at least some clarity in where you're headed next. So if you have anything that you want to talk about, if there's any topics or careers or fields that you want to investigate further on, learn from the experiences of someone in that industry, please let us know in the comments. You can drop the message to us down below and we'll try to get as many as we can on screen to talk about the things that you guys want to talk about. So without further ado, let's move on to today's episode. So today we have an amazing speaker for all of you to listen to. Today's speaker is someone who has an extremely interesting story himself. So advocating and being one of the central champions of change in his own organization, our speaker led change, spearheaded the digital transformation, and set up a division that would ensure his organization stayed competitive uh, when they needed it the most. And he's also someone who is uh, have, taking doing their MBA at Wharton too. So without further ado, let's invite Kyle Cook, the SVP of Digital and Emerging Media at Universal Media. 
All right. Hi, Kyle. How are you doing? Hey, Harsha. I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you've had a busy week. Hopefully today's a relaxing, chill day for you to, you know, unwind and tell us all of your secrets in a sense. <laughs> no, it's been great. It's been great. Um, you know, I appreciate your energy. It's infectious coming through. So I'm, I'm ready to have the conversation. Yeah, you've got me uh, pumped up and ready to uh, share and answer everything and everything. So. Oh, no, now I'm nervous. All right, okay, let's do this in a sense. Now, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about you being accepted as a Wharton MBA student. Congratulations, that is amazing. Much more higher from us measly, peasantly undergrad students in a sense. So congratulations once again. And why did you choose to go to Wharton if you don't mind spilling the deets in a sense? Of course. Well, thank you. Um, it is certainly an honor um, and I can't wait to get started. I'll be on campus. Uh, here in the next month um, for our orientation week and then uh, doing the executive MBA program uh, for the next two years. I'll be uh, trekking on over uh, to the, the campus uh, every other weekend. Um, so really looking forward to it. But essentially how I found myself um, wanting to to move into in an MBA program <clears throat> actually started a couple years ago when I uh, uh, attended Northwestern University for a MS degree in a more specialized field called Integrated Marketing Communications. And over time, um, you know, that program really opened up my eyes to things that um, you know, I wanted to learn and just that, that furthering my education, helping and putting it into application right away for my company and organization and all the clients that we serve was, was terrific. And, and essentially being something that was more specialized in my field, terrific. Uh, but knowing and part of my title uh, being emerging, and we'll get into that in a, in a little bit, which is uh, very ambiguous and, and can mean lots of different things, um, is, hey, I needed to have a more well-rounded education for myself, learn from my peers, um, a lot of self-awareness and self-assessment, which is something I really believe in. We'll talk a lot about uh, to say, what are my deficiencies, right? If I want to continue to lead this organization and lead my clients, um, I need to you know, have a better understanding of global economics, of finance, of different cross-functional um, aspects that uh, while I do have a specialized degree that isn't specifically in my field, how can I bring something more well-rounded um, to help the organization? And what better than the best business school in the world? Uh, so that was a pretty easy decision uh, and luckily was uh, admitted uh, here as a part of WEMBA 48. Uh, so the 48th class in, in that. So very excited. All right. Well, definitely a star addition to Penn's campus in a sense. And hopefully our listeners will bump into you in campus and get your autograph. And <laughs> after this, uh, I'm sure you have like tons of dying fans in a sense. And you alluded to this a little bit in a sense of kind of like the spirit of learning and the fact that you did another degree program just a couple of years ago it definitely shows your commitment in learning in a sense and i think for many students at the undergrad level now we are still struggling to get through our first degree and we're still struggling to figure out what that means for us and where that kind of like points us in the direction of our future i'm super curious in a sense because you are in as you said emerging media something cool and very exciting um, how was it like for you when you were a student in a sense? Did you know exactly back when you were doing in your bachelor's degree where you wanted to head, what sections in the media industry that you were going to be focusing on? I knew you did your bachelor's degree in marketing in a sense, but was that a choice that you made um, with a grand plan in mind in a sense? Or how did you go about kind of like those early decisions in your career? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so. 
I didn't know what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to do something with the, okay, right? sorry. Yeah. Um, sometimes I still don't even know what I want to do, right? It's like, oh, that would be fun. Maybe that would be fun. Um, but uh, no, essentially just getting more generalized, specialized degree. I know I wanted to uh, do something on the internet, which is obviously as broad <laughs> as possibly can be. Um, and I'm you know, doing, doing that now um, in terms of media. So it was more just a, a general degree, wanting to find myself uh, and luckily landed an internship um with with the company and i've been there ever since uh which in the agency world and in more or less the marketing technology world um is is completely unheard of um it's maybe two year stints at the absolute most and i think i'm going on year 11 here uh and and couldn't be happier all right year 11 okay very a little scary but it's okay like it shows your commitment in a sense how how was it like in a sense being at that point in college in a sense i think everyone or at least you would be like your trajectory would be kind of like the ideal life in a sense you you get an internship you're so great at it you go on you set a division you you become svp go on to study your mba and more and it, it sounds very fancy and cool but it, like um, i'm assuming you did not like predict all of this back when you were picking your internships and deciding what to do did you have any sort of fear or kind of worry at that point of time of what you were going to do next in a sense and if so how did you pick the right internship or apply for the right thing that would set you in stone yeah i think um almost like that that self-doubt um of hey what am i going to do doesn't uh, i think there's a lot of people who still struggle with that and i know that i do uh right um i think one of the big things and we were having an orientation uh meeting from uh, for the Wemba class and someone was talking about, you know, you know, let that go. You're here for a reason, you know, believe in yourself, get rid of that imposter syndrome. And that's something that I think a lot of us feel. Um, but once we kind of can move and navigate through that, realizing that, no, we, we, we are, uh, smart enough. We're good enough. We're gonna, we're gonna figure it out. Um, and to any of the undergrads, don't worry about it. It's going to work out in the end, right? You're going to see some people that get ahead really quickly because see some people it takes a little bit longer to mold to get to that point um but we all uh we all find our story um and navigate through in the end so for me it was honestly uh i consider myself the luckiest person in the world not just a terrific family two young girls but uh from a from a, a professional instance um the internship really found me uh and then again a lot of things and dominoes fell into place uh, like the division you're talking about, I created, which we can certainly talk about. Uh, but luck was a massive part of it. And and I think you kind of create your own luck in an instance. So a lot of networking, a lot of um, just talking to people, keeping an open mind and seeing if there was a right fit. And luckily the fit worked out for me. Very cool, very cool. And when you say the fit worked out for you, that's very cool. What, what do you think you did in that internship that made the people around you go like, we have to keep him here forever in a sense and we have to like, like offer him a position in a sense. Uh, yeah, curiosity and, and not just about the business, but how you can drive value for the business, um, right? So it's a business, it needs to make money. Uh, hey, where, where can I be of most value? Um, and during that internship time, I was actually in for sales, more of an outbound sales role. Because again, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Hey, I got an internship. This is great. I'm going to shadow some salespeople around. I'm going to learn, you know, about uh, that and quickly realized that uh, outbound sales was not something I was very good at. Um, and again, that's, that's self-awareness, self-reflection. 
to essentially come to them in my early years and say, I'm not good at this, but here's where I think that I can provide value and drive new revenue streams, diversify your, your company's revenue and finances. Um, and that's what I think really attracted them is just having an awareness for myself to know that what I was in, I, I'm not good at, not great at. I didn't think I was succeed maybe initially. Hey, I think I can do this. Um, but then quickly pivoting and being agile enough to realize, you know what, I think I can drive more value here. So having an open mind, being true to yourself and being curious, um, I think there's some of the best things that you could possibly do. Very cool. And we've been kind of building up to this, but one of the things that like when you joined in the company, it was a bit more of a traditional ad company in a sense, television, radio and all that, which is still huge things. Like I still like television might never die in a sense if I keep watching it. But for you, in a sense, as someone coming in and then having an idea of how they could pivot or something new that they could look at in a sense or a different channel of ad in a sense, how did you number one come up to the like come to the idea that you need like this company needs to maybe take a different angle at looking at stuff. And how did you go about convincing that to the people who had been running the company for years? Probably, Certainly. Yeah. So um, a little background, Universal Media has been around for about 35 years now, uh, was one of the first media buying agencies. Only. Uh, and what I mean by that is <clears throat> when people think advertising agency, uh, a lot of times you're thinking of, oh, look at all the cool advertisements they're creating. Um, we're, we're not that part. We're the behind the scenes. Uh, uh, I, I, I use the term, um, you know, mathematicians and those items to understanding where exactly you're placing a certain ad uh, in front of certain people um, at the right time to make them create or do some action. Um, so that's essentially what, what Universal is and was built upon that as one of the first media buying agencies <clears throat> and has, has grown into one of the largest independent uh, buying agencies in the United States. So we're not owned by anyone, we're a private company. Um, so that company built and rooted in traditional uh, media. So again, that broadcast television, outdoor, helping companies as uh, yes, with print advertising that's still going on today, um, uh, all those items. And essentially, again, I go back to the theme of being lucky and being curious. There wasn't necessarily a department that really handled or did a lot of digital advertising. And obviously, it doesn't take um, um, you know a, a lot to envision or see or forecast where media was heading or going. And essentially, just uh, hey, you know, what do we do here? Oh, we outsource that. Okay, let me understand the costs that it takes to outsource versus creating something internally, um, and just developing a very simple business plan uh, to where we you know got the approval. Hey, it was very low risk. Let's see what what can happen. Um, and we just continue to, to grow and snowball. No, very cool in a sense. Tell us a little bit about those early stages of setting it up and what was kind of like how like how did you go about number one picking who you should talk to in a sense, picking what you were going to present to in a sense. I'm right now doing a class on kind of pitching and finding the right people to convey your idea within an organization and just reading about it in the textbooks is giving me a headache. So please shed some light on how you did that successfully in a sense on that whole process. Uh, well, I learned through failing. Um, right. And I think that's something that a lot of us, you know, kind of shy away from, but you're going to learn the most from your, from your failures. Um, so there was geez, webinars, white papers, and lots and lots of messing up and figuring out, uh, both operationally, both from a technological standpoint, both from an uh, analysis and analyses reports we had to put together. 
Um, those first two or three years were very rough um, because uh, we necessarily didn't turn it on, right? We didn't create some department and all of a sudden it was a significant portion of our revenue. It took a while to ramp up, um, right? So uh, there was a lot of times just learning and figuring out what was going to be uh, correct. And I think the best part, what again, mm -hmm. going back to the luck, um, is that the company I'm at is very entrepreneurial, right? It was started by two entrepreneurs. Um, they do a lot of other endeavors as well. And they really championed me. Um, so they were, they stuck behind it, they invested in it, they, they provided the resources that, that was needed. Um, but honestly, the, the number one thing and how we learned is, is going through uh, uh, rounds and rounds of failure and feedback. Um, that constant feedback loop that you've probably read about or talk about uh, was the number one um, way that we kind of just continued to mold and learn. And A, you know, we started off with a presentation or whatever it may have been, um, you know, a recommendation, a strategy. Uh, helping someone with some sort of data and segmentation. And, uh, you know, if, if we were messing up, learning how to take that, um, update it, make it better for the next. So, you know, kind of got better every single day. And once that that progression started and we started to see some of that success, um, I, I wish I could have encapsulated that moment in time because it was some of the best feelings ever to start it to see it come to fruition. Tell us about maybe one or two of the those moments of initial success in a sense and how did it come about you know they like when they say like edison took a thousand tries to invent like invent the light bulb it sounds nice in theory but you do but that means he did like a 999 minimum failed attempts in a sense which is terrible i can only assume that with your initial kind of like setbacks and all that 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 first few successes would have been completely, I would say, at least a heartwarming feeling of kind of like getting on the right track in a sense. So what do you think was the like one or two pivotal moments or stories where you started seeing that success and you started seeing that, okay, you know what, this is getting where I thought it'd go in a sense? Certainly. So it was more or less just an understanding of how strategies, how data, how technology comes together. Um, I think initially, um, and a lot of us do, I think was thinking in a very siloed format. So, okay, you know, data, we can only look at it this way or segmentation. We can only look at this way or technology can only be this way versus that cross-functional approach and how everything comes together. And I remember, you know, presenting the first time, um, you know, the, one of the biggest successes was winning a large RFP or request for proposal, uh, for a, a company, um, and essentially won that over two other national digital agencies um, and that was the the moment of arrival was like wow this this actually really can be something because during the time of failure there's a lot of self-doubt should i keep doing this am i smart enough to, to to really lead the the division or should i look at another company where i can just go and, and be a part of something that's already been created um, but winning winning that assignment uh, for a specific client and brand over two established digital specific agencies um, you know in new york city in Boston, Atlanta, uh, when we're someone in South Central Pennsylvania, even though we serve all over the uh, United States, uh, that was the turning point. Oh, amazing in a sense. And prior to that, or even maybe even post that in a sense, how do you deal with the times where things are not moving and you feel like, you know what, I should, like, should I give up on this? Should I just shelve this in a sense? What do you, like, like, what, what is your internal process of being able to get back on track and get back on kind of like the horse and continue like persevering? Absolutely. I think we are 
um, conditioned to only focus on really large wins. So to me, while it was gratifying um, and something that I learned, right, it was, it was, oh, we're not winning any of these RFPs or any of these assignments, I'm, I'm failing, right? But realistically, uh, I should have, you know, taken a step back and looked at the bigger picture or the more micro picture and looked at all the little wins that was happening, right? Um, you know, something that might've been a, a tech failure um, that we fixed one day or something that we uh, brought on a new partner or vendor assigned a new contract um, these little tiny wins that built up to this final big win. Um, and while, you know, we're looking at and saying, hey, the, the assignment and, and being awarded that was the, the end goal, um, losing, you know, not losing track of the journey and every day just moving forward, continuing to try, um, simply failing and trying to do it again in a better way is a win enough, um, right? So really holding on to some of those, those smaller victories um, and you know, that, that's kind of how, uh, helped me slodge through, um, the consistency of failure early on. No, very cool in a sense. And it's very entrepreneurial. I think not just the company in the sense, but the work that you are doing within the company is extremely interesting from an entrepreneur's point of view, in a sense, I'm sure when you started this, they didn't exactly go, here's a team of a hundred people to execute your every wish in a sense. And, and, and do all, everything that you say in a sense. I'm sure it's something that you built along the way. Tell us a little bit about being able to lead the people in your team and growing that team as the, the aspect of the business that you were working on grew as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so naturally media agencies run uh, uh, very lean um, anyway, right? So to that that standpoint of, of team, team members, but it started just by adding, um, you know, uh, specialists if you will, in, in the field of a certain variety or aspect of digital media. Um, so really leaning on, you know, I think being a great leader is identifying people along the way who really are, uh, I'm saying, you know, gather smarter people in the room than you to help you build that. So they make me look really good and putting people in the right instance and knowing what I don't know to have people help um and 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 push that along so whether it was something specific with uh you know engaging with google or whether it was someone bringing in a data engineer those very specific items um understanding and, and you know how they can add value was really how uh the team continued to build and that that was also really difficult right a 22 23 24 year old um hiring people um that were my same age that some people that i knew um you know in myself wasn't a great leader early on because it didn't know how to lead um and that was also part of the bumpiness uh at the beginning mm -hmm. is hey i think i'm doing things correctly but am i you know being too much of a micromanager am i two hands off am i doing a lot of questioning um to that that aspect um i think i have it down um in a pretty decent uh, pattern now but continuing this why i'm at Wharton, right to learn more business leadership strategies um, but building uh, building a team is really just getting people who are smarter than you uh, to, to to push along the the, uh, the work. No, no, and I and I like how you pointed out specifically all of these little, I would say, internal dilemmas we have as leaders. In a sense, am I being too hands off? Am I being too hands on? Like there's there's always kind of like the spectrum of things that we never really know because we're not the ones on the other side of the table. In a sense. Right. How did you kind of discover your, I would say, leadership style among all of this? Again, I'm assuming there was some trial and error involved, but how did you go about it? Yeah, a lot, lot of trial and error. I, I think, like I said, early on, um, 
uh, much to the dismay of, of, of you know, the, the, the team. I, I, I was uh, um, learning things or thinking that I'm doing things correctly and, and sometimes just wasn't, right? And that's the, that's the reality um, of what that was. But a lot of influence on <clears throat> the leaders in my life is really how I, I took from that. So what aspects did I really like? What aspects did I not like? Um, and really try to, especially now, uh, lead in a way of areas that um, I know aren't um, going to be receptive. So you know, I'm uncertainly receptive to some things, um, getting a lot of feedback. Um, one of the things that I'm constantly trying to get better on is, is open communication. So that 360 view of, uh, you know, reviewing uh, your performance, but you're reviewing me, what's great, what's not great, um, and identifying, uh, you know, what, what a team member needs to motivate them um, along, but also what, you know, doesn't motivate them and do less of that and more of the motivation. Um, so really that's uh, gaining influence from a lot of different mentors um, and taking from them is, is really how I kind of... Uh, compiled my, my leadership style, if you will. Yeah, yeah, but it's always hard because each person in your team has their own personality in a sense. So some people like certain styles of kind of working with you. Some people probably are complete opposite in a sense. Have you ever made a mistake in kind of like dealing with someone, whether it's a team member, whether it's someone um, like a, that, or a contact that, that's relevant to the business in a sense? And how do you, like, how did you go about rectifying like, rectifying that in a sense because I feel like right now I know many people who are leading teams and then they make a mistake in that and they're just like oh my gosh how do I backtrack now how do like what do I do in this sense? have you ever been in that situation yeah yeah plenty of times right and I didn't handle it as well um, back then but again it's you know experience and learning and knowing um, and you have to be again self-awareness you have to be open and honest so if you make a mistake um, it's okay um, but you have to come clean with it even as a leader and someone who's supposed to be leading the organization whatever if you didn't handle something correctly, um, don't just sweep it under the rug or say this is the way it needs to be. You know, have an open and honest conversation, not with just that person, but the team and saying, hey, here's where I believe I misstepped. Here's some of the things that I think I did, you know, incorrectly. Would you agree with me? Was there anything else? You know, how could I have handled the situation better? I think all too times, all too many are often um, us as leaders are not uh, asking for feedback or are not um, you know, thinking just the way that we do something has to be the way that it has to be done. Um, we need to have that understanding of how uh, our, our leadership style is impacting others. And if it's in a negative way, um, or if we make a mistake, you know, we're human too. We just have to raise our hand, say, I made the mistake. Here's how I'll be better as well. Um, and just being, you know, that, that flatter hierarchy is something I really believe in um, to where just because I'm leading the division or the team doesn't necessarily need to be, um, you know, I make mistakes as well. And, and we can call those out and talk about it. All right, all right. And also it kind of like in being a leader, you are the person responsible for all of the output in a sense. You are the person that's reporting back to, uh, I would say, the, the higher ups in an organization. You're the one who's taking the call in a sense. Have there ever been, I would say, like times or periods in a sense where maybe performance was not up to what you wanted in a sense or or things didn't go according to plan in that quarter in a sense how do you communicate that back to like the rest of your higher up team in a sense if there ever was a situation where that needs yeah yeah there always is a situation right and it's not an easy conversation to have um but any good relationship again i've, I've reiterated this is is based on communication and being open and honest right so if there was uh, a lack of performance here here is what happened 
And then not only here's what happened, but here's how we're not going to make that mistake again and how we're going to change it. So you have to be very proactive in the instance if you're talking about a failure, uh, you know, not saying, you know, changing that and, and diverting away from that failure. But, hey, that happened. That's not going to change. How are you not going to do that in the future? And if that presents itself again, how are you not just going to do that? But how are you going to and what are you going to do something different um, to make sure that it doesn't happen again? And instead of the loss, we're going to get a win that time. So being very open, being very honest, it's okay to talk about failures. It's important because we understand then uh, how to get better. Oh, very cool. What do you think in the last, like in your experience of building this whole thing up was your biggest challenge to deal with from all the stuff that we've spoken about and all the stuff we've yet to talk about in a sense? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say the biggest challenge is both from uh, finding myself as a leader, um, developing that leadership, uh, building building a team, um, but also in in working with um, a lot of clients um, and a lot of, of you know making a name for ourselves um, as a new division of a company that's been around for thirty five years. Um, there's a lot of hurdles that come come with that, right? Um, are you just creating a division because, you know, for whatever reason, are you really going to be as good as it as you are as these other items? So overcoming those barriers um, also, you know, reflects into your self-doubt. It's a tremendous company, especially on the, the side that that built up from traditional media. And now we're introducing this new avenue. Um, you know, that that was something that was very challenging um, is overcoming that perception of, um of not being as uh, as strong as some of the other counterparts in, in the organization. No, that's that's a very good point as well. And also the the field that you chose, at least now, is an extremely competitive field in a sense where um, I would say I'm not even going to try to think about it right now in a sense. So to establish yourself among those other brands, among those other names in the industry, um, how did you go about kind of setting yourself apart in a sense? You mentioned you you had the opportunity to win contracts against much more established organizations in a sense. How did you do that in a sense? What's the, what's the story behind that? Sure, I think kind of making the name is is uh, you know something that you're doing right. Is you're you're taking reins, you're you're being curious, uh, you're being hands on, and you're going for it. Right. Um, so kind of I see a lot of in, in that reflection in, in what you're doing and all the things in your introduction, which is you know terrific um, and you being an entrepreneur, but um, networking, talking to people, being hands on um, and, and learning from others. Um, I think that's one of the big things as well, especially in this um, field that's ever changing. Again, part of my title is emerging. So it's stuff that, you know, we don't know yet. Um, you rely on a lot of your peers um, and you rely a lot on what other people are doing and you communicate with them and you understand what their successes were. You understand what their failures were. Um, so that's the biggest way is just keeping that communication, that line of communication open, uh, creating a network um, and, and, you know, uh, being relentless in the pursuit of uh, more knowledge um, and, and what, what's to come and how we can apply that. All right. And you mentioned network earlier as well, but I often find that that's a little bit more of a challenging thing to do in a sense. Where where did you go about kind of like fleshing out a network again in a division that was not prior established in your company in a sense? 
Yeah, certainly. It takes, takes time to, to build that network, right? Absolutely. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that's truly, you know, something I truly value um, and trying to make a, con a concerted effort to continue to grow. Um, but there's so many tools, right? I mean, both locally, um, simple as, as Chamber of Commerce and on LinkedIn and, and following different news articles. And if I like an article that someone has written, comment on it, tag them, reach out to them, say really, you know, appreciate your, your insight. Can you shed some more? Um, so I think there's a variety of ways to build a network. Um, again, it's simple as, you know, every person who writes an article is putting their LinkedIn contact in or their Twitter handle and just simply reaching out to them, um, and showing that you, uh, really, um, found their article, their research, their work insightful. Um, and, and that's just as a simple way to start building a network. Yeah, very, very cool. Tell me also about kind of like in, in that process of you building your network, establishing your, the work that you do. You're also, as you said, in the emerging media industry, which is an industry that is constantly changing. And you probably do one thing and then a couple of years later, that may not be relevant or that may have already evolved. I mean, just looking at on a very small scale to get an algorithm right on something like Facebook and Instagram would is annoying because it's something that's constantly evolving and adapting in a sense. Has that posed a challenge for you in a sense? How do you make sure that you're constantly adapting to whatever new things that are being introduced in the whole emerging market arena? Yeah, absolutely. Right. You want to talk about failure. Um, if, if something we don't know exactly know yet, you're putting it into practice. Um, and you know, a lot of times you, it's not going to succeed necessarily. So, um, you know, you mentioned the algorithms, there's a lot of talk around, um, uh, a cookie-less world with data and how do we track people and how do we become more, um, you know, data governance and, and privacy and concerns and all of those different items. <clears throat> so, um, that's, that's absolutely, uh, something that that's top of mind and, and learning from all of those items. Um, again, that common theme of learning from your failures and bringing them to. So the emerging space is, is fascinating, uh, both from media channels, um, both from data, um, data governance, privacy controls, all those things. Um, it's something that's extremely exciting. Yep, yep. In, in this process of, of kind of like capturing these new medias and all of that, and, and all of those new emerging channels and sets, what has been, I would say, your biggest success and your biggest failure to date? Oh my, that's a great question. Uh, my biggest success, I'd say, uh, is um, being recognized by some of the leading uh, marketing technology companies and also brands um, as an, a, a digital agency. Right. So working with Facebook, becoming, you know, very strong partners and Google becoming premier partners, things that are, aren't achieved um, by a tremendous amount of companies, especially, you know, uh, we call it omni like an omni channel agency, um, you know, all medias, traditional, digital, everything you can imagine. Um, I think that's just more or less um, not saying that we've made it, you know, quote unquote, made it, if you will, uh, by any stretch of imagination. But um, understanding that we have made an impact um, for our clients um, and on some of these technologies and partnerships and vendors that we work with i'd say that's the biggest success it's almost you know gratifying to know that a lot of this hard work we're continuing to to be recognized for um and and what's that that next success or step going to look like um 
And then from a failure standpoint, geez, I know I've said that word probably 30 or 40 times already. Um, So I have a lot to choose from. Um, But I think some of the failures were just um, from a, 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 a team building standpoint early on in my career. Um, absolutely, just learning from a leadership standpoint how to handle certain employees, how to grow them, how to talk to them, how to pivot them, whatever that may be. All of that in combination, and, and certainly some fumbling early in my career, um, where I just wasn't um, very strong in that instance. And that's that's some of the biggest failures that still haunts me to this day um, is is doing that. But um, certainly, I'd like to think that I've learned from that, made that pivot, um, and and hopefully apply that to all my team members uh, today. All right, very touching. And if you look at kind of the, I would say the work that you do, uh, or at least when you started off in emerging media, I think the whole internet infrastructure, the whole channels and the whole things that were going on were very different as they are now in a sense. Have you seen any eternal truths in the industry in a sense, whether it is like um, it from the earlier print media that's still relevant today in a sense, when you are piecing together um, the strategies that you do or the, the advice that you'd have for anyone entering this industry? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so at, at the end of the day, again, emerging, a lot of the things are new and fancy influencer work and TikTok and all of these new things, right? Um, you know, which are, uh, uh, but the you know bread and butter of some traditional media is still um, important uh, because at the end of the day, media buying and advertising is math plus psychology right in whether it's creative or that it's understanding how many people where they are and then the psychological aspect of what message is going to motivate them to to execute something so math psychology is at the basis of what we do Um, and when you look at the math portion the most amount of people you know could potentially still be watching the super bowl or still watching a traditional medium um so just because everything has become digital and i know i'm the digital person saying that but it's something that we preach strongly is just because something's new and shiny um, and clients really like to talk about it, um, right? Nobody wants to talk as much about print as they do. Um, some cool digital algorithms and technologies and, and marketing automation and all those items. Um, there's still some traditional medias that, that do make sense uh, because from the math portion, they're reaching or connecting with the most amount of people. All right, all right. And I'm also curious about where do you see kind of like the future of this industry? Like you said, you you named a couple in a sense. I'm sure everyone is right now obsessed with the word metaverse, whether they know what it means or not. On the other end, as you said, you have your TikTok influencers. You have, I would say, different ways of doing this that's cropping up every other day. For you, in a sense, where do you think this industry is headed? In a sense, why? So, yeah, um, I think we are headed towards um, again another popular word, uh, more decentralization. Um, especially in data, um, because the data is really the foundation of all of these platforms, Um, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google, whatever it may be, the data is what drives uh, advertisers to come and use dollars and and media buyers and strategists like myself, uh, you know, to to execute your your Hulus and your YouTubes and all of those different things. Um, However, right now, those are all walled gardens. Um, And what I mean by that is you can give your data into them. You can take a customer email address who's giving you permission to advertise towards them and give it to them. However, they limit the data that comes back to you. They keep it for themselves. They use it. They harness it. And I think uh, that creates a um, 
a dependency or a reliance or an over dependency on some of these companies, mm -hmm. which is never a good thing when you're you're putting all your eggs in one basket and depending on something. So the decentralization, Web 3.0, um, you know, there's that I barely know scratching the surface of. Um, you know, that that's really where I see the the world going is is uh, you know that data being decentralized, um, being obviously anonymized to where all parties can both put it in and take it out and use it across these partners. Because Facebook and Google don't talk too much to each other um, or share too much data to each other. But um, it's necessary for brands and advertisers to have that holistic view. Um, and the decentralization, I do believe, is something that's, that's absolutely going to change uh, the world of advertising. All right. I feel like sometimes people hear the word data and it's a taboo word nowadays in a sense and everyone panics the fire alarm goes off in a sense as someone who uses at least a morsel of probably what you use for advertising and all of that i personally see a lot of value in it as an entrepreneur what do you wish people knew about data or even kind of the advertising world that they don't often think about um so i think uh First off, it's you know, it's understanding what data to use. So I think a lot of times when we hear that word or people understand it's 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 everything, and they know and you know people, uh, you know the Facebooks and the Googles now they know exactly where I am um, and all of those things, um, you know, and who I am. It, it's the the one thing that I wish that people would know more is the most amount of data um, is handled right with this thing. Um, so people just don't understand the mobile phone and where it's, uh, people understand where you are and advertisers, we have all that information. So you might think, um, you know, what you're, you're sending out a tweet or you're, you know, blocking an advertiser from sharing data. Uh, you're still on your phone and that is the largest source of data, one of the largest sources that you have. So it, it, it makes me laugh when people talk about that. Um, you know, they're stealing our data, they're doing this while they're typing it or sending it from their phone. Um, so that's one of the biggest things that I always say is that mobile device is one of the strongest pieces of information that, that I leverage on a daily basis for clients. That doesn't make me feel better, but okay. Now, now all those times I'm like, hmm, or like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm a little sad now. Okay, you caught me. I'm one of those people <laughs> with the irony. Okay, I'm gonna cry about this when I like after this interview is over. But as we wind down in this, like like in our chat in a sense, and you you said that I don't know if I can talk for 45 minutes, but I really didn't even notice that we're almost at 45 minutes. So you are a liar. But anyway, um, as we wind down this conversation in a sense, I feel like many people want to be able to do the things that you've done. They want to go ahead, kind of like be proactive look at the things that are happening, the latest things in a sense, adapt that even if where they're at has never had a precedent in it before. They want to have your confidence in doing these kind of stuff in a sense. What do you think has made, or, or you can say more than one thing, but what do you think in your journey so far has made you able to do all of these things or have set you apart from those who have tried things out and failed and kind of just ended things there? Um. I don't want to sound cliche, but I'm going to. Um, it's just that internal self-belief and confidence um, and that there is no one that is going to outwork me uh, from that instance, right? So building something and continuing to, to move on is is relentless. Um, and But if that's really what you want, you're going to work for it. So th those are the two things that's kind of driven that's, that, that 
confidence, I guess you will, to keep moving forward um, is continuing to work hard, seeing those small victories on a daily basis, just simply learning something new, um, you know, from an article that I might read later, that might be my victory today. Um, uh, but continuing to build those um, and working hard and just the belief, um, the, the internal knowing belief that, that you are going to succeed is really what's, what's driven. All right. Amazing. Final two questions. I know I said final one question, but I have more questions now. Sorry. Uh, we can go a little bit over time. Uh, final two questions in a sense. In this strive of kind of like making something, and I, and I use the word changing reality because I have to add in the show name somewhere. Like I try to name drop as much as possible. But in the way, in this process of changing reality, creating in an organization or in any space that hasn't been there before, there is a lot of work to be done in a sense. You are literally, I would say, defying gravity. You're actually creating something new in a sense. Do you ever face burnout in in, in those times of, of kind of like uh, having to push hard to make things happen in a sense? And how do you deal with that? Um, so that, that's kind of creepy that you know that to ask that question, Harsha. Um, and I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, I had uh, someone who I'd consider a close friend, mentor type, talk about that burnout effect. Um, and to me, I never thought that it was going to happen. And I'd say over the past year, um, really starting to, you know, hit that wall of, oh man, this, this, it's a, it's a lot. Um, and you know, the constant working Saturdays and Sundays and late at night and coming back and, you know, waking up in the middle of the night because you're just waking up and having your notepad there and writing and jotting it down and checking an email, whatever it may be, um, to the point where, uh, understanding that it needs to unplug. Uh, sometimes there's a, there's a, this. Uh, I always had this false sense that if I'm not always on, I'm not working hard, um, and that couldn't be further from the truth, right? So taking a break, um, unplugging yourself. You know, you do not need to answer that email or do that thing Saturday night or uh, you know first thing Sunday morning, um, and that's a way to kind of avoid the burnout that that I I really hit, especially during COVID um, when we're all home and now there's more time. And more, you know, to, to get ahead and do those items. Um, absolutely. It's, it, it's real. And it's something that I, I, I felt and went through, I'd say, um, especially, you know, around last year. All right. I knew from the data, uh, joking, but no, thank you. That like, it is something that I feel like, especially with COVID that I, and many people that I know personally been going through and you seem to be doing so much that I thought you'd have a good answer and you did. So thank you. And I would say kind of like, just to wrap up our interview for today from, for from the point of view of people, maybe on the flip side, in a sense, you mentioned this in a throwaway line earlier, which is essentially the work that you guys do is not the fun, creative side. It's the math side of things. I don't know whether to believe you or not on that. I'm sure there's like, like it's that fun. is the fun side to me. So the math, all that stuff, that is fun. But general uh, perception, um, I can't draw a stick figure, right? So in being in an advertising world, sometimes people think like, uh, yeah, no, but totally get it. So there's hope for me in the advertising world still, but all right, never mind. <laughs> How do you think that, like, if someone's considering entering this arena of advertising in a sense, what do they need to have? Like, do they have to be able to, I don't know, obviously based on your last comment, they don't have to be able to paint the Mona Lisa, but what, what are the skills that someone going to this, like, whole advertising arena should have within themselves? Certainly, you have to be able to adapt um, on the fly at all times. Um, you have to have a, a fundamental understanding of technology and more or less, uh, essence, you have to have uh, an idea of economics, 
and psychology. Uh, because, you know, that's really, again, the economical aspect, the, the psychological understanding and the math portion, bringing that together, um, you absolutely can succeed in the field. Um, and it's it's very different from where it used to be, you know, thinking about the Mad Men, Don Draper days and everything, you know, that show became super popular. Not what it is at all anymore. It's becoming much more specific, much more data oriented. Um, and again, that math and that psychology, um, I think you can, if you have an understanding of those, um, and then, you know, outside of that, you know, some of the softer skills of, of being agile and being able to adapt, um, you know, those things are absolutely a requirement. Okay. Amazing. Um, as a psychology student who hates math, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you. And I, I, I've decided that maybe it's not the future that I'm meant to be in, but I'm sure that from our audience, at least some of them will probably really be able to get into that space in a sense that that would probably be their ideal intersection. <laughs> So anyway, thank you so much. Um, as, like, I am very surprised that we actually managed to, do, to, uh, to come to the end of the interview so quickly because I feel like there's a hundred more things that I could ask in a sense and then you're just been so easy to talk to. So thank you so much for like coming on the show, sharing your experiences. Any final words for us all? Uh, no, a final word for you. Thank you for what you're doing. It's a terrific show. I've been watching them. Like I said, your energy is infectious. Um, I think it's it's terrific and you're going to be extremely successful as you already are. So thank you for putting this together and thank you for having me. Um, and I really appreciate it. Well, you are definitely too kind. And now we definitely have to get you back on the show because that just gave me a confidence boost. So once you're done with the MBA, we've got to interrogate you. How was it? What did they do right? What did they do wrong in a sense? And I'm sure that you're going to do absolutely more insane and really cool stuff in the future. So thank you so much. And with that, I guess we're at the end of our interview. To our audience, thank you for listening. You guys have been amazing too. And do share with us what you guys took away from this interview. Tell us in the comments. Make sure you like and subscribe. And with that, I guess that's all for today's Change of Reality. See you guys again next week on Thursday, as always. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.